We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called The Power of Worship from 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to listen to the first part of a message called Worshiping God in My Marriage. Let's go to the text together. Over the past eight days, I've had the privilege to do two weddings in two states none of which were anywhere particularly close in Columbus. And um, it was a privilege to uh, see all that God did in those individuals. Uh, Both guys had been in my small group at one time or another, and it was a real privilege to to be a part of their weddings, officiating. But you know, at the beginning of marriage, what does everybody want? What does everybody want the couple to be? They want to be happy, right? And the, 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 you know, the greater level of anticipation of happiness, you know, the people at the, the wedding are pretty excited. And some of those are like, yeah, I don't think this is going anywhere good. Um, mm, fortunately, both marriages that I was able to do the last two weeks, I think, have a great trajectory, a God-honoring trajectory. But the whole thing about happiness... You know, if marriage is designed by God, and if marriages are to be directed by God, I think God wants more than two people just trying to keep each other happy, okay? And often when people are focused on just trying to keep each other happy, they end up not very happy. Why is that? Well, happiness is not wrong, but it misses the greater spiritual nature of marriage. Um, Happiness is an incomplete goal, I believe that God created us to pursue not happy marriages, but glorious marriages. A marriage is created by God to reflect his goodness and his greatness. A marriage is meant to be a place of oneness before God. Really, it's meant to be a place of worship to God. And I'll tell you this, a soul-satisfying Joy-filled marriage is a God-centered marriage. It's a Christ-exalting marriage. That is the marriage that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Why don't you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be spending some good time here the next few weeks as we continue going through 1 Corinthians. The power of worship in my marriage. The title of the message today is Worshiping God in My Marriage. Most of us, when we think about worship, we think about singing. We think about uh, maybe, maybe you know, getting into God's word together, getting into a study together, something in my small group. Worship. What is worship? How many of us think of worship as what we're doing day in and day out in our marriages? But I'm going to tell you something. What you do in your marriage relationship or your dating relationship says a lot about worship. For the next few weeks, we're going to have a focus on those who are married or about to get married. But I want to remind us that uh, this passage is for everyone. It's for the person who is married. It's for the person who, by God's grace, wants to get married or will get married sometime soon. It's for the person who's not married and may never get married. It's for the person who is ministering to those who are married or going to get married. Listen, this text is for everyone, and if we embrace it that way, God will speak to all of our hearts, I believe, uh, in many ways. Let's look at the text here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. I'm going to read the whole text uh, for the next few weeks. 
Paul says this, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Now every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair, to shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, it is in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. A judge for yourselves... Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Wow. Okay, there's certain texts that are a little more challenging than others. Um, But I want to tell you something. As I've spent the last few weeks meditating on these passages, I'm going to tell you, when we dig down into what God is saying here, it's going to be more amazing maybe than any other series I've ever worked on. Okay? And I'm just going to start today. I want to encourage you, um, don't come to all your conclusions before you hear the rest of the story. What we're going to be looking at is... So many different foundational things about marriage. Now, the problem is, you ever, you ever been somewhere in the car with somebody? Or maybe, just imagine yourself, you're in Manhattan. I hope some of you have been to Manhattan at some point, And you're on, the, you're on the subway, and you hear somebody on a cell phone, right? And you're hearing, like, they're like saying these things. Like, what are they talking about? And you can only hear half the conversation, right? What you're getting here is kind of half of what the conversation, you're not hearing all the uh, cultural things that are being said, which we're going to dig into. You're also not hearing all the things that the Corinthians have said. I mean, I, oh my goodness, it would be so awesome if I could read the letter that the Corinthians sent to Paul before he responded. Wouldn't that be nice? But as we've worked on this text, as many uh, biblical scholars have worked on this, I think there's a great deal we can learn. But you just, right now when you read the text, you don't get all that immediately. But clearly Paul was talking about some very important things uh, going on in the church. And I'm just going to tell you, I believe that God is going to do things in our church family through the next few weeks uh, that we've never seen happen before. And um, I, I hope that you'll be praying with me. If a few of you have texted me randomly, just uh, telling me you're praying for me, I tell you, you want to do something to bless your pastor? Just randomly text me sometimes saying I'm praying for you. And if it's on Friday or Saturday, you get bonus points, okay? Because <laughs> um, it means a lot. It means a lot. Well, let's begin to dig into the text here. Verse 2, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 today. Paul says, uh, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions 
even as I delivered them uh, to you. Uh, Paul is commending the Corinthian church for two things. First, remembering him. The Corinthian church, though they had made a lot of mistakes, which we are wading through one at a time as we go through this study, uh, they had embraced God's messenger to them. And I would commend this to you. Uh, You want to have people in your life that are speaking God's truth to you when you want to hear it and when you don't want to hear it. You need people in your life that are speaking truth. I hope that each Sunday morning you're getting some of that. I hope that in your small group you're getting some of that. I hope you have people in your life that speak truth to you that you will listen to. He says that they remembered him. They were embracing him. Then notice that it says in verse 2 that they maintained the traditions even as uh, Paul had delivered. Now, what is he talking about with traditions? Does it have something to do with hair? Like, what is going on? Um, no. One definition given for traditions that I thought was really good is this. Traditions are that which is passed along by teaching. That which is passed along by teaching. Now, in certain places, that can be a really negative thing. Okay, Jesus addressed that in Matthew 15. He said, you had these traditions of men, okay? And and certain of the Pharisees had taken uh, certain teachings that had come about of men, not from God's word, usually kind of around God's word, and they had raised those teachings to such a place that it was literally above God's word. And Jesus is like, yeah, those traditions, gotta go, gotta go. Everything falls under God's authority and God's word, not above it. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Here, uh, this text, also 2 Thessalonians 2.15, I'll read that to you real quick. Paul said, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. And those letters are now here in Scripture, many of them. But here, uh, like in uh, 2 Thessalonians, it refers to Christ-exalting apostolic teaching on the gospel in agreement with the Old Testament. Okay, let me say that again. Traditions refers to Christ-exalting apostolic teaching on the gospel in agreement with Old Testament teaching. And Paul's saying, listen, what I taught you about the gospel, I told you about Christ, uh, you have embraced that. You have embraced that. That's what he's talking about right there. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church. You know, as a result of listening to Meeting with God Daily, I hope that your passion for Jesus Christ is growing in such a way that you're learning to share your faith with others. You know, that's something that our church is committed to, equipping men and women to share the good news of Jesus through personal witness and church outreach. And if you don't have a church here in Columbus, Ohio, we'd love to have you join us this weekend. Go to verticalchurch.life. Now, here's something to think about. The Corinthians were doctrinally correct. But notice in verse 3, the first word. What's the first word in verse 3? But. Don't you like having a conversation where somebody says, you're amazing, uh, but. The Corinthians had orthodoxy. You know what the word orthodoxy means? It means right doctrine. The Corinthians had orthodoxy, but struggled with orthopraxy, which is right living, okay? Right application of God's truth. A true worship requires aligning my doctrine and my practice 
with God's word. Okay, can't have one or the other. There's other people that are like, oh, well, you got all these practices out of God's word, but yeah, our, our, our doctrine's a little messed up. Okay, you gotta have both. If you wanna have a healthy church, a growing church, uh, you gotta have a both. And if you wanna have a godly marriage, you need both. But before we get into that, I, wanna, I want you to notice something that he says in verse two. Notice how he starts verse two. He says, now I commend you uh, because... Paul starts out by affirming the good. Sometimes we can only see the negative things in people. That is such a dangerous and unbiblical thing. I'm not saying there's not times to address things. Paul's already to have quite a good time doing that, okay? But we need to make sure that in our lives and especially in our marriages, we commend things, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that, that you wives uh, go to your husband this afternoon and say, you know, you, know, you are a rotten husband, but I just want to commend you on your, your doctrine of the premillennial return of Christ, okay? That's not what we're going for. You've got to have both. You've got to have both. You need to affirm both. Most marriages lack affirmation and most hurting marriages are starving for affirmation and that goes both ways husbands to your wives to say honey i just want to commend something something you're just doing amazing you're just doing amazing at this okay now you have to have humility not to um but okay god's not calling you to put butts in there all the time okay and sometimes we just give flat out affirmation and just encourage people that that really works. Both ways in a marriage. Got to have a lot of affirmation. Don't wait until everything is perfect to affirm. Paul didn't. Okay? Paul didn't wait till the Corinthians got everything and then like two letters later said, hey guys, great job, love ya, good job. He didn't do that. He affirmed them even in the midst of their failures. Well, look at verse 3. Paul says, but I want you to understand that, pause, do you hear the love and grace of just that first part of that sentence? But I want you to understand that. It's easy to jump right into what's coming next, and believe me, we're going to be digging in that for a little while here. God wants you to understand what he tells you to do. You know, so many of us live in a because I said so world. You know, do this because I said so. Do this because I said so. I mean, how many of us, you know, you know, with our kids, you know, like, hey, take out the garbage. It's like, why? Well, how many of us go into an explanation like this? Well, because the organic material is biodegrading at a rate that will cause nasal dysfunction or discomfort, and small little creatures will begin to reproduce. And most of us don't say that, right? We just say, take out the garbage. Why? Because I said so, and it's garbage day. Right? So many of us live in a because I told you so world. And when we do that, sometimes we lose opportunities to teach. I would tell us parents, especially those of us with teenage parents, this kind of increases as your children get older. But with young children, there are more because I told you so times. Just because I, listen, son, I, I'm not going to explain to you why you need to put your underwear on. You just need to, okay? <laughs> just need to. But as they get older, um, the more opportunities and windows that you get to give them the why from God's word, 
the more that they will begin to embrace the reason, okay? Because what you're saying is, um, listen, what I do, son, is because I'm under God's authority and I am under God's word. And to the extent that you do the same, you will be blessed. Otherwise, what you have is you have these kids that grow up in I told you so environments and someday they get into, into late into high school or into college and they're like, well, the told you so is gone now. So I guess I do things on my own not realizing that what their parents were saying was under the authority of God's word. There's no doubt that we need to obey God's word without question, uh, but God also wants us to understand why, the why behind the truth. Our appreciation and celebration of marriage is often equal to our biblical understanding. Our appreciation and celebration of marriage is often equal to our biblical understanding. I'm going to tell you something. If you're in a marriage today or about to get into a marriage today, that's a because I told you so marriage, and you're honoring Christ and staying together just because God's word says that, um, you're being obedient. I affirm you in that. But you're going to miss out on the majority of the joy that God would bring into your life. You're not trying to do marriage the way God wants you to do it and why God wants you to do it. You're just doing it because somebody told you don't get divorced. Uh, That's not a great way to experience the joy that God intended for your marriage. Really, every area of our lives related to marriage or not, every area of our lives, in every area, our worship will be deeper and richer as a response to a heart of understanding. And whether it's marriage or you're here and something else is completely on your heart, listen, the more you understand God's word and why he says what he says and dig into God's word, you will have a greater appreciation. It's like if I went to an antique. Some of you all went to an antique. Some of you are into antiques. I've met some people and like, wow, people into antiques are like, wow. I just, it's interesting to have discussions with people like that. Maybe some of you are people like that. God bless you. I am not. So I'd walk into like an old, you know, garage sale of somebody. First of all, I wouldn't even go to a garage sale. It'd probably be my wife there. I'd just like, nah, it's a bunch of old stuff. I don't want that stuff. Right? But I go to that kind of environment. And I'm just like, yeah, it's old. I'm not paying $10 for that. I wouldn't pay five cents for that. But someone with a trained eye and with understanding can look at those things in a garage sale and say, garbage, garbage, garbage. That's worth $2,000 and see it and pay $10 and make a boatload of dough over it. Well, see, the same applies true in marriage. If we have our eyes trained by God's word, we're able to see what God's doing, embrace it, and then experience the blessing of what God wants. Greater worship comes as I develop a heart of understanding. Now, notice I didn't just say understanding, a heart of understanding. When our hearts are in a place where we can embrace what God has for us and we begin to cry out to God for understanding, God will bless that and God will give it. I would encourage you to write down Proverbs chapter 2. Go back there later uh, today or tomorrow. Read that. Pray Proverbs chapter 2. God will give understanding. Now what does God want us to understand about our marriages 
I want to give you a summary statement for this whole mini-series that we're going through. What are we going for? What's, what's the objective, Luke? Kind of lay it out for me. Maybe I shouldn't give this out because I guess hypothetically some of you could just walk out and go, I got the whole summary for the marriage. Don't like any of it. I'm leaving. Um, I hope not. I hope not. Here's the statement, summary statement. God designed marriage to exhibit his glory through lifelong commitment and soul-satisfying joy found in relational beauty, spiritual power, and purposeful companionship. That's a mouthful. That's the whole series right there. Now, we're going to get bits and pieces of each of those each the way through the messages. Verse 3 says, Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, that word head there in the Greek is a kephale. It means authority. Now, I have read more on that single word uh, than any other word in God's in the text ever. I read for over an hour on that single word alone. A lot of thoughts have gone into that. Some of you might be asking, like, why did he just say authority? If he meant authority, why did he just put the word authority in there? Make it so much clearer. Um, answer is yes, it would have been a lot clearer. But there's a reason why he didn't. First, he is going to use the word authority. The Greek word for authority is going to come up in verse 10. Clearly, it's connected to what he's saying here. But second of all, it's a play on words, okay? He's going to talk about physical heads next week. Clearly, what's all that haircutting thing? That's, we're going to be talking about physical heads, and there's a lot going on there. But Paul's using head in a metaphorical sense to address a physical problem that was going on. And so he's using those kind of as a play on words of the three uh, head statements. Which one do you think people have the most energy for? Uh, Clearly, it's the middle one there. The head of the wife is her husband. Okay, I get that the head of Christ is God. Amen. The head of every man is Christ. Good. But it's that middle one that gets us a little energized about. I want to tell you that a lot of energy, and I can't tell you how much a lot is emphasized, has gone into a textual study of these words here. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to speak this as a pastor, but also boldly, um, there's been a lot of twisting what's said here. And if you were to go in to do an in-depth study in this, there are some that have come to conclusions that I believe are clearly unbiblical and just flat out grammatically wrong. Some have said that this does not mean that, that the head of, it's not talking about head in terms of authority, it's talking about head in terms of source, okay? You study God's word that is flat out evangelical feminism, twisting words to say things that it's not meant to say. And that's wrong in my opinion. So what does the text mean? Why all this energy? Is it really necessary? Let me say this too. Um, For some of you, it might be hard to hear some of the things that are said in this message, both for men and for women, but I want to tell you this. Um, I don't like everything that God's word says, okay? It offends my pride. When God's word says things to me, I'm like, well, why does that have to be in there? Now I have to do that. Okay, even pastors feel that way occasionally too, okay? But it doesn't matter what I think. 
The moment that I start caring what I think more than what God's think, we all have a problem. And the same is no, it's no different for you. I really think that all this energy over that middle head statement is really focused on the wrong thing. It's unnecessary. It's focused on uh, things that would pull us away from relational beauty, from God's blueprint. I think we need to do something. Really, God's word's amazing. It's laid out in a specific order for a specific reason. Who's the first person that's supposed to be under authority? Go to the text. Who's the first person that's supposed to be under authority? It's men. It's men. And that's where I want to start. I want to apply this text right the way that Paul had said it. There was a reason why he did. Let's talk about application here, men. I hope I have your attention. Gals, you're welcome to listen along. Here's the question, men. How does a husband come under the authority of Christ? This is where it starts. Submitting to the authority of Christ's teaching. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. If you missed part of today's message or would like to hear other messages from Pastor Luke Aarons, please visit our archive of Meeting with God radio programs at our website, verticalchurch.life. There you'll find a collection of past messages from God's Word, which you can listen to easily, as well as share with your family and friends. Also on our website, you can learn how to connect with Vertical Church personally if you're in Columbus or leave a prayer request. As always, we hope you'll join us here tomorrow at the very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.